0: Chaka, I'd like to welcome you all to People's Church. We are so glad you've chosen to join us today as we worship the Lord together and have fellowship. We hope that you feel right at home. If you're joining us for the first time, we have just one request from you. Won't you click the welcome link and fill in your details so that we can reach out and connect with you? We hope that you're enjoying the service so far. In Hebrews 13, verse 15, it says, Through Him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. Let's invite Jesus into our lives as we invite Him into the service today. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the grace to come before you once again. Accept our praises in your name. We magnify your name, O oh God. We thank you for your promises. And that you make us understand that whatever we bind on earth, we bind in heaven. We bind every power of the enemy against this gathering. We cast out every evil spirit against our coming together in the name of Jesus. The worship team will now lead us into a moment of worship. Let us sing.
1: You're the God of covenant and faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart land when you speak a To pass Great is your faithfulness To me Great is your faithfulness To me From the rising sun Till the setting Same I will pray Great. The earth may pass away, your word remains the same. Hey. Your history can prove there's nothing you can do. Your faithful land Though the storms, may storm. Lord, is made. let she- won't one me down, no.
0: As we get into a time of giving, I'd like to read from Luke 16, verse 10. Whoever can be entrusted with very little can also be entrusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now everything we have doesn't just come from God, it belongs to Him. We are stewards of what He has given us. And as stewards, we are called to be God's financial advisors and investors. He entrusts us with His money, and we choose how it will be used and invested. The true test of our ability to be good stewards doesn't happen when we have plenty. In fact, it is when we have little that we are really tested? How do we invest the little that we have or the plenty that we have to bless others and to honor God through good stewardship? Ask yourself are you open minded and generous or are we stingy because we are afraid of being in lack for a long period of time? Be a good steward. God has given you the resources and He has entrusted you with much. We encourage you to approach this with generosity, with an open heart as we commit to God's resources. Or rather, as we commit God's resources back to Him with thanksgiving and we continue investing wisely into His kingdom. Be blessed as you invest back into God's kingdom.
1: Hello, my name is Debbie and today I will be your newsreader. Church, we would like to thank you for attending the AGM last week's Sunday, and we're also thankful for the valuable contributions in the meeting. Now, let's look at what's happening in the life of the church.
2: Good day, church. Christ, our Lord and Savior, led by example. Several times in scriptures, you will read that he went out to pray, so it is also important for us as believers, as his followers, to spend time in prayer. Church, I'm quite excited about our Tuesday morning dawn prayer meetings. I would like to invite you to join us every Tuesday morning between 5 and 6 as we cry out and lift our voices up to our Heavenly Father between 5 and 6 every Tuesday morning. To be able to join us, please contact me on the number that is flashed on the screen now. Contact me on this number so that I can send you the link so that you are able to join us as we pray together every Tuesday morning between 5 and 6. A praying church is a victorious church.
1: You're furthermore reminded of our Wednesday prayers, which take place from 6pm to 7pm. And please remember to pre-book online.
3: Good morning, People's Church. We are happy to announce that Designed Youth Ministry will be back soon.
4: Watch this space for more announcements.
1: And we are going to hit the ground running with a conference hosted by Cornerstone for the youth. It's called Game Changers. Please watch the video for more information. Thank you. God bless you.
2: Thank you. (laughs) we <laughs>
4: good morning brothers and sisters we are excited to announce the men's conference which is taking place on the 23rd of october which is a joint initiative between cornerstone church and people's church we are inviting all men to be part of this conference it will be a saturday this is a conference that you don't want to miss in terms of its content and the speakers that we're going to have there and especially to have you there as one of the participants and attendees we invite you come and join us in the name of jesus this will be a virtual conference you can attend it anywhere you are in the comfort of your home so we are inviting you come along and be part of what god is doing in cornerstone and people's church god bless you
1: we are extremely excited that next week we will be having a live band and some singers from Cornerstone Church. It's going to be lit. So please, invite your friends and family, but don't forget to pre-book online. Do enjoy the rest of the service.
0: Church, help me as we welcome Pastor Monley to minister God's word to us today. Be blessed.
3: Good morning, uh, People's Church, Church at Home family. So good for me to be able to bring uh, God's word today. You know, it's such a, it's always such an honor and a privilege, and something that we shouldn't take lightly to bring God's word. And we definitely uh, thank and appreciate the the speakers that have brought uh, God's word week in and week out. That have fed us with really high quality stuff. So we appreciate them. And before I go into um, into my message, I just wanted to. Start by sharing a short story. You know, one, a couple of years ago, I went with a group of people uh, on a mission trip to Lesotho. And as normal, so what normally happens is that in the mornings, we split into smaller teams. We go into the surrounding villages to evangelize. One of the things that became interesting to me is that in every house, almost without fail, every house that we went into, the people that uh, we met and we spoke to were women. Uh, so, you know, I asked, you know, why is it that in every house that we go into that we are met by and we, are, we speak with women? Where are the men? What about the men? You know, and so <clears throat> the local translators that we were working with there, you know, they, they, we had a discussion and one of them said this. He said, the Basutu men, you know, cannot bring themselves uh, to submit to a savior who is weak. And so According to them, or in their view, the act of Jesus willingly giving his life for the sake of humanity is something weak. And since weakness is shunned in many cultures, including theirs, therefore they generally distance themselves, especially the men uh, from Christianity, because of that Thinking and this got me thinking as well that you know during the first century I don't think there was anyone who was seen you know tattooing uh, the symbol of the cross or the image of the cross on their body. I don't think there was even anyone who was uh, who had stickers of the cross on their chariot, and there was a very specific reason for that. That was because at that time the cross was a tool of uh, extreme torture. Uh, That was reserved only for the worst of criminals or those uh, whom the Roman Empire wanted to make an example uh, to the rest of of the people. So it was was set apart. It was a tool of extreme torture uh, that was set apart for those kinds of people. And we are told, as even we learn from the scriptures and from history, uh, we are told that a person was first severely beaten. Or flogged, you know, by by leather uh, whips that had a uh, metal bit at, at the at the at their tips, and so they were first flogged and, and beaten and really tortured, and then they were forced to carry their own cross, which could weigh about 50 kilograms or upwards of that. They w- they would carry their own cross to the place where they would be crucified, and so uh, and thereafter the person was fixed onto the wooden cross using nails and sometimes even person was tied or, or or fastened to the cross and then The the cross would be erected and put in its place. And as a result, the person would die a very slow but very painful death. And in fact, the idea was to instill fear on everyone who passes by, who even sees this person who is being crucified. I mean, there's records of people that even took more than a day to die hanging upon a cross. Uh, And so that was the idea, to instill fear on everyone else who passes by, who sees what happens uh, to criminals and even those that that seek to defy the Roman Empire. Yet in Luke chapter 24, we are introduced to two disciples of Jesus. This is three days after Jesus himself had been crucified on a Roman cross. And these two disciples are having a conversation as they are walking to to a village called Emmaus. And then Jesus, we are told that Jesus uh, joins them in conversation and he walks with them, but they couldn't recognize that this is Jesus. And Jesus asked them, what is this conversation that you are having? What are you, what are you talking about? What's happening? And, and they, they look puzzled, you know, and they are sad. And they say, are you the only person, are you the only visitor here who does not know what has happened, what has taken place in the last couple of days? And Jesus, uh, the, the, the one who knows all things, responds by asking them a question, what things? What happened? Tell me about it. And they begin to tell them, to tell him uh, the things that had happened. They tell him how they had come to hope that Jesus would be the one who would liberate uh, the Israelites from the Roman oppression and how their priests and the, the chief priests and their rulers had handed him over to be crucified three days earlier. And then Jesus responds to them in Luke 24, verse 25 and 26. And it says, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? If you read that last, uh, that last portion in the New King James Version, it says, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? New Living Translation, was it, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory. And today, I would love to preach a message titled, The Necessity of the Cross. And before we go even further, let us just prepare our hearts and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Father God, for your word that your word is powerful, that your word has power to transform our lives. We pray now as we are about to go into your word, that you help us to hear, to receive, to understand what you want us to learn today and help us to apply it in our lives so that our lives may be transformed and changed. We pray for all this in Jesus Christ's mighty name, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. And so Jesus asked his disciples this question Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? before entering into his glory. And today, I hope by the grace of God that I'll be able to answer just this one question. Why was it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? And for that, we are going to take a short journey, uh, you know, through the pages of Scripture. We're going to start in the beginning, the book of Genesis, and we'll make our way uh, through uh, to the New Testament. And our journey will have three significant uh, or major segments. If you like, beginning with the fall of man and then followed by the law of Moses and lastly, the son of God. So it's the fall, the law and the son beginning with the fall of man. You know, if we go back into the beginning, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, uh, we especially in the first two uh, uh, chapters, we get a portrait of the creation that God had created how things were, and we are told that when God, and after God created everything, this is what he said as he marveled upon his creation. He said, it is all very good. It was pleasing to God. It came out exactly the way he wanted it to come out. It was perfect. And we are told that he created mankind, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve. And he, and he placed them in the garden that he had created. And he gave them a task to take care of the garden, uh, to, to tend it, you know, to take care of it, and to, to, uh, to cultivate the garden. And he gave the man a very clear and specific instruction. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 to 17, it says And the Lord God commanded the man. Saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I think we can all agree here today that this is a very clear instruction you shall not eat of this one tree, but of every other tree, you are free to eat, you are permitted, you have the freedom and the liberty to eat. There were many, many trees in the garden uh, of eden and the, the the instruction was to stay away from just this one tree and we are even told god goes even further to explain what the consequences would be if they failed to obey this one instruction and it was that they would die and we know that in 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 Genesis chapter 3 just one chapter later in Genesis chapter 3 both the man and the woman broke this instruction as they as they both ate of the fruit from the tree that God had explicitly commanded them not to eat from and for the first time in since creation sin entered into the equation sin entered into the world and this is something that is also known as the fall of man this is where sin entered into the world and affected and infected each and every aspect of god's creation and the resulting effect was that everything would now be affected by death and decay each and everything that you can think about every aspect of god's creation was now infected or affected by sin marked by this death and decay. And when it comes to the issue of sin, you know, uh, our, our modern un- understanding or thinking around sin can sometimes be a little bit misleading or uh, can be, you know, inaccurate sometimes. You know, when the Bible talks about sin, uh, we sometimes instantly assume that it is talking about all the wrong things that a person can do. You know, things such as lying, stealing, uh, uh, bribing or taking bribes, killing a person, those kind of things. And while it is, is true that the concept of sin uh, encompasses all of these things but sin is not primarily according to the scriptures it is not primarily something that we do but it is primarily something that we are and this is a very important uh, distinction and something to understand that sin, according to the scriptures, is not defined primarily as, as something that we do, as actions, as wrong things that we can do. But primarily it is a nature that we, that we inherit when we are born. Right from birth, it is a nature, it is a, it is a state of being, it is something that we are. Primarily. In fact, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good things. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, uh, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so this makes a very clear link between uh, the things that we do on the outside and who we are. On the inside. Those are two different things. But there is a link. There's a clear link. There's a positive correlation between the things that we do on the outside and who we are. On the inside, he says that you know that a person does good things because in, in his heart there is goodness that is stored up in him. And a person who does evil things, a person who does wrong things, it is because of the contents of his heart or because of who he is on the inside. And so, in the same way, people, uh, human beings, commit sin because of the sinful nature that we are in on the inside or in our hearts, as opposed to the contrary. You know, the thinking that people become sinners when they do wrong things. Uh, the Bible, you know, has a completely different uh, understanding and, and inverts that thing completely people become sinners because of the sinful nature and therefore they commit sinful acts that is how it works think of it also in this way that no one needs to teach any of us how to sin sin comes naturally to us you know i recently heard someone say this he said it's easy to sin not to sin is the hard part not to sin is the thing that is difficult but sinning Sinning is easy. Just leave a person for, uh, give a person enough time and they will definitely figure it out all by themselves. And so, you see, what you and I need to understand clearly, even as we begin this journey, is that you and I are guilty by nature, because of the nature that we inherited. It is not primarily because of the wrong things that a person has done or has not done. It is because of the nature that when sin entered the world, it infected everything, and as a result, our natural inclinations or even desires is to do things that are wrong naturally that is what we want to do as opposed to doing things that are right and that are good and so a nature is something that we cannot escape from a nature is something that we are bound to it is something we cannot uh, rid ourselves of. and that is why paul says this in romans chapter 6 verse 20 for when we were slaves to sin you were free in regard to righteousness. And so uses the terminology of slavery because uh, we, we cannot rid ourselves of this sinful nature that we have. It is almost like a master that even controls our desires, controls the things that we do. It controls even the thoughts that run across our minds. And as human beings, we are powerless against sin. There's nothing that we can do by ourselves to eradicate or to, uh, to rid our Ourselves of this nature that we have we cannot help ourselves but to commit acts of sin because of the nature that imprisons us and this is basically because of that original sin uh, that was committed right there in the beginning. And the, that's the first thing to understand. It is the fall. It is the, the, the predicament. It is the, 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 the place that we find ourselves in. If each and every human being who is alive is entrapped and enslaved by this nature that controls us to do things that are wrong and not things that are right. And, and this uh, sin is the thing that separates us from God. And the second thing that I wanted us to just touch on is the whole issue of the law of Moses or the law that God introduced through Moses. And this is years down the line from Adam and Eve. God introduced the law uh, through Moses and part of the law was the sacrificial system. And the law, this played a very important role in terms of the, the Bible narrative or the story of the Bible. Uh, that really through, through the law, God made a way for people to be able to be made acceptable to God again. In essence, that is what the sacrificial system was all about, to make people acceptable to God again. Again, and the idea was, when a person has committed something wrong, when a person has had a wrong thought, when a person has hurt or injured their neighbor, when a person has done something wrong, they could uh, bring an offering. They could bring a sacrifice, an animal to bring to God and offer that animal to God. And that animal will take their guilt for the thing that they have done. In essence, that is what it was all about. And there were requirements. That the animal that is being sacrificed, that it needed to fulfill. And one of them we read about in Leviticus chapter 22, verse 20 to 21. And this is what it says. It says, you shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. And that is one of the most important uh, requirements that the sacrifice that a person offered to God needed to fulfill. It needed to be perfect. And that uh, is basically because of the nature of God. One of the things that we can know about God is that God is holy. And part of that means that he uh, he cannot relate with anything that is not holy. He cannot relate with anything that is less than perfect. Because of his of his nature god is perfect god is good through and through and so he cannot even have a relationship with us because of our fallen human nature and therefore because of that gap between his nature and our nature uh, then therefore that is why he instituted the sacrificial system which was to 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 help people to be made acceptable to god again and so There is a twist, though, that we need to understand. So as we come into the New Testament, as we come uh, into the New Covenant, after the work, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a twist that we need to understand concerning the law, the sacrificial system, and the Old Testament. And if you read Hebrews chapter 10, just the first four verses, this is what it says. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. So this is something that is established. It doesn't say for if. It says for since. This is established already. Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near, That is clear. That is emphatic. Since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come, it is impossible for the law, therefore, to make perfect, you know, those who come, who draw near uh, to worship God by the sacrifices that are offered continually year after year. Continues. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin, But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin each and every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so inherent within the sacrificial system was the issue of the repeated sacrifices. Each and every year there were these rituals and these sacrifices that needed to be offered year after year. And he says, if the sacrifices of these animals could lead to the forgiveness of sins, then surely they would have stopped being offered or sacrificed by now. Why? Because the, the the worshippers, because the people would no longer have any sins to atone for, because their sins would have already been atoned for, if indeed these sacrifices did or dealt with the issue of sin. But it, as it has already been established, they they do not and they cannot deal with the issue of sin because they are but shadows. That is all they are. They are shadows of the realities and not the realities themselves which leads to this question what then was the purpose of the law if it was not to forgive sins what was the purpose and paul wrote about this in galatians chapter 3 he also wrote about it in in romans from chapter 6 onwards he wrote extensively about this one question why then what was the purpose of the law if it wasn't to deal with the issue of sin and he says this in galatians chapter 3 verse 19 Why then the law? Question. And then he continues. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Which reiterates the point, really, that the law was a placeholder for something better that was still to come, that had not yet arrived. The the law was just holding the place for that thing or for that person. And now, as we read here, it becomes clear that there is an offspring, and that offspring is the Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24, he he continues to say this. He says, Now before faith came, this was before the, the, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith this is very deep and i don't really have uh, enough time to go into this but it is very important for us to understand that the purpose of the law it was to be a guardian for the meantime until the, the the promised messiah would come until the one that the promise of faith had been made to had come and that is the lord jesus christ and that basically leads us to our third and final segment of our journey, which is the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah. When Jesus came into the world, he came as a fulfillment of what the law had been trying to do. He came as a fulfillment of what the law had been trying to do, which is why when John the Baptist first saw Jesus, he said this about him, first saw Jesus the first time coming towards him, and he says this in John chapter 1, verse 29. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, John had a revelation of who Jesus is or who Jesus was. That Jesus was not just another human being. He was not just another ordinary person. But Jesus was the chosen and promised Messiah. The Lamb of God that God had provided for the sins of the world. That God provided as a sacrifice for our sins the one and only and true and perfect lamb that could take away our sins once and for all and so all the Animal sacrifices that were being sacrificed under the law were a foreshadow of this one person who had now come. Jesus, the Messiah, who was the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Which is why uh, Jesus was actually sacrificed only once. And we, we, we read about this in Hebrews chapter 10. This is very important as well to understand why Jesus had to, say, to be sacrificed once and only once, and not repeatedly, year after year. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to 14, this is what it says. It says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man... After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Hallelujah. Amen. This is the good news. That Jesus was sacrificed once and for all. And was sacrificed once for the sins of all of humanity. All the people that have ever lived. All the people that will ever live. Your sins, my sins, all of our sins. past present and future and he was sacrificed once and for all and he is now seated at the right hand of of the father He he has finished the work that he was sent to do which was to be a sacrifice which was to be a substitution for us to stand in the place of our guilt and to take the full might of our punishment that we deserve because of our sins so that our sins may be forgiven so that we may not atone for our own sins ourselves and so contrary to the belief that the cross portrays christ as weak in actual fact on the cross jesus did what no one else could do he made a way for our sins to be forgiven. Completely, And he made that way possible. He made the way for the restoration of the relationship that existed once between man and God. He made that restoration possible by the sacrifice of himself upon that cross. And so we need to understand that this is another important thing to understand that God was never at any obligation to save even a single human being. He was never obligated. He was never forced. You know, he did not have to save even a single human being. But once he decided to save us, then the cross and the suffering became absolutely necessary. It was not necessary for God to save us, to move, you know, to, 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 to save us and, and to, to make the way possible for our sins to be forgiven. That wasn't necessary. But once he had, he had decided, you know, that he wants to save us, then the cross and the suffering and the death, the crucifixion and the resurrection became absolutely necessary. Necessary. It was now absolutely necessary for Christ to suffer and die. And there was no other way for salvation and the forgiveness of our sins to be made possible other than for the Lamb of God to be slain. That is the gospel. That is what God has done on our behalf. And you may be here uh, today and you are hearing me and you have never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And you could have even grown up, you know, in a Christian home. You could have been attending church, Sunday school from as young as you can remember. But you, have, you don't have that assurance of your salvation. You don't have that, that witness of the Holy Spirit within you that, con- that, that attests to the fact that you are indeed a child of God and perhaps you, you have doubts and maybe you have questions and perhaps you know there's things that have happened in your life that make you to question the goodness of God but today I would like to invite you i would like to extend this invitation for you to place your faith on jesus's finished work on the cross the bible assures us in in ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 that it is by grace that we have been saved and this through faith and this is not our own doing it is the gift of god not as a result of works so that no one may boast salvation is an act of god it is by grace And through faith, those are the two concepts that that are inherent and that are important to understand when it comes to salvation. First of all, it is by grace, simply meaning that it is God's doing. It is not our doing. Salvation is a free gift from God because he loves us, because he wanted to do it. And the second concept is that salvation is through faith, basically meaning that we must receive this free gift of salvation by believing in Jesus Christ and believing. Uh, here means more than just knowing something to be true in your mind. It goes even further to, to applying and inf- uh, uh, to affecting or affecting the, the kind of lives that we live, living in such a way that we that we demonstrate that we believe these things to be true. It's not just believing in our hearts. You know it's not just believing that there is a God out there somewhere, but it is living it and every day, you know in the reality that God is real, that God loves us, that God uh, wants us to live in a particular way. And the good news is this, when it comes to salvation, that it does not really matter too much what you and I have done. Maybe we have, you have made mistakes in your past. Maybe you have done things that you thought these things are completely unforgivable the truth is and the good news is that there's nothing that you and i can do that will disqualify us from being able to receive this offer of salvation there is no sin that the blood of Christ cannot forgive, that cannot wash away there's nothing that we, that you and I perhaps have done or can do in the future that will disqualify us from being able to accept or access this free gift called salvation and if you need more information concerning these things we definitely would like to help you to come alongside and to walk this journey with you so i would encourage you to send us a whatsapp message to our number which is 066-026-0170 066-026-0170 send us a message and we would like to explain further these things if you need more information but if on the other hand you are ready to make this decision to take this step i would love to pray with you today and and the truth is that god here's your, your prayers. If we pray with sincerity in our hearts, it doesn't even matter too much, you know, the, the terminology and, you know, the vocabulary that we use in prayer. One of the most important things is what is happening on the inside. And the Bible shows us that God sees, you know, things that are hidden to the naked eye. He sees our hearts. He sees our intentions. He sees even our thoughts and so even as you are there right now you can take this step you can make this decision to make jesus christ your personal lord and your savior and the reality is that god will hear your prayer and so i would encourage you don't focus don't stress too much about the words maybe you are saying i do not know how to pray it's not the words that matter too much what matters is what is happening in your heart. If you are sincere in your heart, if you are saying with, with genuine sincerity that you are accepting Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, the Lord God himself will be able to hear your prayer and will, will, uh, will make you your own. He will forgive you of your sins. And so let us pray together if you are ready to make this decision and to take this step. And you can pray something as simple as this to say, Father, I thank you for what you have done for me. Today, I accept your gift of salvation. I want to follow you and live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And if you have prayed that prayer, I'm excited for you. And we would definitely love to hear about it and to also partner with you, to walk alongside you, to help you, and to equip you in this new journey of faith. So you can also send us a WhatsApp. Let us know that you gave your life to Christ by sending a WhatsApp to our number, which is 066-026-0170. So have a great week and may God bless you. May God keep you. May God uh, shine his face upon you. May God bless you and open doors for you and really help you in whatever it is that you are dealing with in your life. Amen. Let me just uh, close for us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord God, that you are not too far away from us, but you are close, Lord God. Thank you for revealing yourself through Jesus Christ. And thank you for revealing your love for us through the cross and, and, you, and the pain and the suffering and the death and ultimately the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your word says in John three sixteen that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son so that whosoever believes in him may not perish but may have everlasting or eternal life. Father, we thank you for each and every person that is turning towards you today. Pray, Father, that you may help them along this new journey of faith that they have chosen. Grow them, surround them with people that will help them, that will impact them in their lives. For the glory of your name, we pray now and forevermore. Amen.